0: Screen time with John Fardy. This is News Talk.
1: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show we talk to the great cinema enthusiast and indeed curator Mark Cousins about his continuing journey through the story of film with his new updated version, The Story of Film, A New Generation, now available on Netflix. Mark Ryle reviews Jesse Buckley in the new Alex Garland movie Men as well as Tim Roth on Bergman's Island. Plus, musician Brian Deedee on his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore forty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Good bank holiday weekend to you all. And I hope you're getting a little sunshine wherever you are. My day began very well today, or certainly the late morning. I dodged a bullet. Last night, I was having a couple of beverages because I was at a barbecue, so I left my car in the train station. And this morning, I went back to get my car in the train station. It was about five kilometres from where I live. And I ran, just to throw that in and get a little exercise in. So I ran, very athletically, the five kilometres to pick up the car. And about halfway there, I realised... I'd forgotten to get a parking ticket yesterday when I parked the car. I was, you know, thinking about work and rushing in and I forgot to get a car park ticket. So for the remainder of my run, very athletic run that it was, I was thinking, am I going to get clamped? And I I ran up to the station and when I got there, two spaces away from me, there was a clamping van. There was a man out of the clamping van on a phone and it looked like he was about (laughs) to clamp me. Or certainly very close to it, because he was beside the car. So, I just went in, said nothing, took the key out of my pocket, put it in the ignition and drove away. Clamp dodged. Bullet dodged. So, I'm I'm winning today. I really am. You know, in life we tend to focus on the bullets that have hit us, as opposed to the dodged bullets. You know, we don't celebrate them enough. That is a small win. Well, a big win. You know, what's a clamp these days? 120, 150 quid? I don't know. It's been a while. So, I dodged a bullet. So, I'm going to let this spirit of gratitude pervade the show for the next 40 minutes or thereabouts now in tv i was watching this
2: our manager's trying to bring down a government we're going to change the world our singer is fully insane <laughs> our bass player starts fights for laughs this is punk
0: hey, steve
2: is a sexual maniac
1: <laughs> come see us play we're awful Ladies and gentlemen, Sex Pistols. Now that, of course, is making some reference to the Sex Pistols. You may be aware this week on Disney Plus, Pistol, a six-parter landed on Disney Plus, and it's all about the forming and the fame of the Sex Pistols. You may also be aware, if you're in any way knowledgeable about the Sex Pistols, that Johnny Rotten has been very much against this and has gone to court over it and called it a middle-class fantasy. Disney has stolen the past and created a fairy tale which bears little resemblance to the truth. This one is told from the story of Steve Jones, the guitar player. It's based on his memoir, Lonely Boy. And in it, you have the Steve Jones character kind of forming the band under the watchful eye of Malcolm McLaren, who in this version, as a jackass, which by all accounts is pretty true to life. You have some interesting characters of the time, like Vivian Westwood. Chrissy Hine is in there as well. This is fiction. And then we have Johnny Rotten himself, who shows up at the very end of episode one and starts kicking off in episode two. He's played brilliantly by Anson Boone. Now, this is right up my alley, Punk music and its formation is a fascinating time and what it was all about and the enema it gave music and and British society and life in general, I guess, you know. But a bit disappointed, to be honest. It's just a bit flabby and and a little all over the place. It just doesn't keep you hooked the whole way. Now, I'm going to watch the whole thing because I'm fascinated by this era and this music and this time. But if I wasn't, I'm not sure i keep going with it. It's directed by Danny Boyle. And I think maybe the fact that it's told from the guitarist's point of view, I don't know, that's not quite working. Now, on the plus side, Anson Boone is absolutely brilliant as Johnny Rotten. And when we first see him, it's at the end of episode one, and he's revealed almost like a Frankenstein's monster or something. And he's writing on his t-shirt, I hate Pink Floyd. And he's just great in it. Uh, But it's, it's probably not enough to carry the whole thing. So I was a bit disappointed. I'm still gonna watch it, but it's it's so so. I hope that's not too unintellectual a review for you, but it's only alright. Do let me know if you might have watched Pistol on Disney Plus. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me, screentime at com. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and movie show. Mark Cousins' landmark 2011 documentary, The Story of Film and Odyssey, was a 15-episode long series that traces the history of cinema with a merry-go-round ride through the art form with a huge focus on international cinema, but a lot of pop culture cinema there as well. He recently released an amendment of sorts called The Story of Film, A New Generation, all about what's gone on with movies since, I guess, 2011. And it's just landed on Netflix. In the film, Cousins explores a wide variety of movies from all over the globe with a wonderful approach of considering everything from Frozen to Rodriguez the Ornithologist and Mad Max Fury Road and considers everything from what he terms slow cinema to documentaries to the Copernican revolution of making (laughs) films on GoPros and iPhones. I watched it this week and I was going to give you a pithy review of it and tell you to watch it because it's just landed recently on Netflix But I thought maybe Mark might have some time to have a quick chat about it himself. And I'm delighted to say, lo and behold, he's eked out 15 minutes in his busy schedule. Mark Cousins, how are you, sir? I'm great, John. Thanks
0: for that very nice introduction. That's very nice.
1: Not at all. Not at all. Now, for the uninitiated, it's really interesting what you do because it's kind of somewhat in two parts. You look at it from extending the language of film. And then the second part of it is you're asking, what have these filmmakers been digging for? And I thought it was a very unusual way to split a documentary. (laughs) Why did you do it that way?
0: Yeah, well, usually in my work, I try to look at innovation in cinema, John, as you know, like who's doing something new, who's stretching the way stories are told or using new technology. But I made this update during COVID, you know, and mm. we were all inside our own homes and our apartments and slightly inside our own heads a bit as well, you know. So it's that's why the second part of this update is a bit more reflective. What have we been digging for? What is it that cinema can tell us about ourselves? Mm. You know, in good times and bad, you know, in times of loneliness and exaltation, etc. So that's why it becomes a little more personal and intimate in the second half.
1: Yeah. And look, I don't want to get into the weeds of film editing and, and boring everyone to tears. But but one thought occurs to me. The joy of your movies is so many times you see something, certainly in my case, that I've never seen before. And I go, man, I'm going to have to watch that. You pick great <laughs> scenes. But like, does this take over your life for a year or whatever, where you were just waking up every day and watching? watching a movie and going i'm going to use this scene and then i have to edit it or like it must be a leviathan kind of operation
0: well it actually you know it doesn't take up a huge amount of my time john you know i um i watch films all the time just for pleasure i don't take notes i don't watch them as a sort of film expert mm. um, but if i see a film that's got something striking In it, I seem to log it in a little box in my head, you know, which is the somewhere to be used in the future box, you Mm. know. And the case with this one, it only took a few months. To be honest, Uh, I was making other films. I've just finished a film on the rise of fascism and other things as well. So this was a slight sideline for me, but a very pleasurable one because it's. You know, reconnecting with my love of cinema. And as you know, it's a kind of love letter to cinema.
1: Yeah. Now, just a couple of motifs. You clearly seem taken with, I suppose, what I term horror in daylight or horror in sunshine. (laughs) You look at where horror is going and in particular Jordan Peele and you seem spooked almost by the fact that contemporary horror films are almost set in the daylight and I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah,
0: that's another aspect of innovation isn't it? Because we think of horror as something gothic and shadowy and it was you know from Mary Frankenstein Mary from Frankenstein onwards Mary Shelley but you know there's a new type of daylight horror you know where the filmmakers are trying to say what if we flipped this? What if something what if the thing? Things that we fear are crystal clear. And, and Ari Aster's film Midsommar mm-hmm. did that very well. You know, a scary film set in midsummer. So I love when people are trying to, re- to reverse things and do the opposite of what's expected.
1: And you clearly love what Jordan Peele is doing.
0: Very much so. I mean, I think he's really major. George Jordan Peel this some way mainstream filmmaker, but he had read. I think he's read Jung, Carl Jung, a lot, and he's interested in the unconscious and mm. the archetypes and that idea of the shadow self. And mm-hmm. so, I think we're seeing that a lot in his work and in other films as well. You know, I think that there's a, a film out uh, called Man by Alex Garland, and it's also doing something similar, looking at the shadow self, and that's fascinating. For horror cinema.
1: We're reviewing it later in the show because it's released in Ireland this week. So, so there you go. In circles we move. You know, I sometimes, I might have said this to you before, but, you know, technically I'm the film correspondent for this radio station you're speaking to me on. And there are so many movies I haven't seen. And I feel kind of sheepish almost when I watch your movies. Do people have that experience that they're, you know, there's so much more to be seen? I don't want to feel like I say I feel ashamed because, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's movies. It's at the end of the day, let's not, you know, pull ourselves over the coals. But you do have that feeling when you watch these movies, or certainly I do. That like, gosh, there's so such a wide world out there I've yet to see.
0: Which is a very positive thing to say, isn't it? I mean, I don't want people to feel guilty if they watch this and think, oh, I've missed out on so much. You mm. know? It's the opposite about that. It's about kind of sharing the love of these films. But as you know, John, what I do is I ask myself, I ask myself, what have I not seen if I mm. haven't seen? a great film from India in the last year does that mean there wasn't one <laughs> or or does it mean that i missed it or that the distributors didn't show it you know so i'm always trying to think ask myself what's happening in arab cinema at the moment mm. or indian movies just to make sure that you know i'm not missing out and of course i often am mm. and that i think for me when you love something like cinema one of the pleasures is discovering something new by discovering something new in movies whether it's a new filmmaker or a new country making films you kind of renew your love you know it's like taking your vows your marriage vows all over again (laughs) you know and so i that's why you know i'm as you can tell i am You know, like a boy in front of cinema, passionate, enthusiastic. And it's because I'm always discovering new things.
1: Yeah, well, your enthusiasm shines in this and it remains undimmed, which is great. There are so many movies uh, that that I came across that I really want to watch and we could spend hours. But I just want to mention two in particular. One is a documentary called Propaganda. uh, from uh, Well, to say it's from North Korea might be a misnomer. Could you just tell people like in 30 seconds or whatever what's going on in Propaganda? propaganda because it's mind-blowing
0: yeah it's a very long film and it's full of it's a north korean voiceover looking at western culture advertising and um, movies and showing what is debased and awful and bankrupt and corrupt and cynical about western culture particularly american culture and only slowly uh, when you watch this film you think this sounds weird and slowly <laughs> you realize it's not a real documentary it's a Fake documentary. And the voiceover is not from a North Korean. It's actually from um, a New Zealander. So mm-hmm. he's using the idea of a North Korean voice as a way of making legitimate criticisms of the commercialization of the West, but you playfully doing so, imaginatively doing so. I think it's a shocking film. It's on mm-hmm. YouTube, it's free on YouTube.
1: Okay. And then, and I'm sorry, the name escapes me, but there is, a, it looks like an amazing movie. And it, what, what I remember most vividly about it is a man, it, it appears as having an affair and the husband that, the, the, what what's the word, the cuckolded lover returns. And yes. he, you know, I don't want to give a spoiler, but it's in the movie. He throws himself out a window. That was one of the most powerful scenes I've seen where he slowly confronts the cheating lover what movie is that called
0: it's called an elephant sitting still it's That's from china
1: it. it's from um, china and there's really, a, a very sad backstory to that
0: yes you know um the filmmaker made this frankly masterpiece it went around the world it's a very slow very serious morally serious film um, It won loads of prizes and then the filmmaker died soon afterwards quite young i can't remember i think in his 30s his name's Hu Bo, and um it's. A, I mean, it's a monument to his imagination and to his sense of the kind of melancholic underbelly to mm. lots of people's lives.
1: Yeah, it's remarkable. So those are two I'm going off to watch when when the dust settles. You know, one of the great things about it is you remain, you know, you you talk about streaming, you talk about phones, GoPros and all that, but there's a real sense of optimism uh, from the film that, you know, because we've been hearing for ages and I've discussed it many times on this show about the death of cinema and the death of movie making and blah, blah, blah almost. But you're, you know, at times you're in, or there's image footage of Times Square and there's all these screens and yet this could be something dark and troubling. But yet you're celebrating that, you know, the multiple ways stories are being told, really.
0: I think so. Yeah. I mean, cinema is still a really young art form, you know, it's, yeah. it's only in adolescence. It's only just beginning. It's got a bright future ahead of it. It, I think, you know, obviously, you know, streaming is changing how we people how people consume films, but um, and that's I th- I think there's something deep in us as human beings as movie lovers who want the big screen experience, the bigger than life experience, the luminous experience, the epic experience. Of course, we all during lockdown enjoyed watching classic movies on our TVs and eating pizza and having you know a sort of the safety and security of that, but also as human beings, we want what you could call the mosh pit. We want the opposite of safety and security. We want to feel fully alive Mm. and slightly almost scared by what we're encountering. That's why people jump off cliffs and climb the Alps and do daredevil stuff, you know? And I think cinema is related to that kind of sublime. And Mm. that's why I'm optimistic, John, because I think we will always want that as human beings. We're hardwired to want something bigger than pizza on our sofa watching yeah.
1: TV. Well, funny you should say that, and far be it from me to name drop to you, but I, I had the chance earlier in the week to chat to Baz Lorman for the new Elvis movie, yeah and I say this as I say not to name drop but he said something fascinating about the future of cinema that he thought cinemas were going in a way to have to up their game and you know he's quite a theatrical filmmaker, well he was suggesting that theatres are going to become they're going to almost revert to what they were in the early days, they're going to be theatres and people are going to be offered all sorts of things the movie will still be centre place but it's going to become an experience which I thought was kind of a fascinating take from this master of theatrical cinema
0: yeah i think i think baz is right i know him a little bit you know in this (laughs) kind of um sense of he's mr showbiz you know cinema, we can never no matter how serious the films we watch and no matter how artistically intense they are we can never decouple cinema from showbiz from a kind of theatrical almost circuit or circus type thing you know and so uh, it's it'll always be right to see cinema as an entertainment as an experiential thing and yes in the future maybe you know there'll be more interested you know this it's called expanded cinema cinema mm-hmm. plus it's not just the movie it's an experience around it maybe with actors in the auditorium and a light show beforehand and music afterwards yes all of that uh, is great but if that happens, it shouldn't be out of desperation. It should be to increase the magic of the experience, to yeah. reenchant the experience.
1: Sure. And listen, in, in closing, then two final things, slightly away from the documentary. You, you're working on a movie about the roots of fascism. Uh, I mean, it sounds like saying "is water wet," but is is that a, a dark thing to be investigating? How are you uh, finding that?
0: Yes, I'm actually going to Rome tomorrow to finish it. Okay, you know, for the first. January, February, and March of this year, I just spent every, all day, every day, looking at archive footage of a, a, a fascist atrocities of Mussolini, Hitler, uh, etc. And of course, mm-hmm. we've got more modern, you know, yeah. sort of proto fascists like Trump and, and Putin, for example, you know. So it's been a very sobering time for me, a very, you know, dark time to watch all this but sure. I think the, film, the film's finished and I think it feels as if it's good and certainly a bit timely to make something which is about this subject that doesn't go away
1: Yeah, well it certainly feels timey and if it's not the wrong thing to say, we look forward to seeing that. And (laughs) then finally I have been raving and talking to some of the cast about a great Irish movie called Uncallion Cuehan for the last few weeks, which has been going gangbusters in Ireland and England, I'm delighted to say. And I gather from what I see on Twitter you're also a big fan of it.
0: Yes, uh, I, I think you know, I was very, the producer sent it to me at an early stage and I watched it and I thought, my goodness, this is fantastic, you know, it's almost like a silent film in some ways yeah it's so still it's so beautiful it's so composed you know ireland is doing great stuff in cinema and this is a high watermark i think
1: yeah absolutely well listen the story of film and odyssey is Uh, wonderful watch. I was reminded of that Gerald Manley Hopkins poem, Glory Be to God for Dappled Dappled Things. things, That that popped into my head a few times watching it. it. Sorry to Irish it up for you, Mark. Uh, I
0: I love Hopkins. He's one of my heroes.
1: Well, I would urge people uh, to watch this, which is available to stream on Netflix. Mark, I've said it to you before, you are a cinema's great curator and enthusiast, (laughs) and I really appreciate you talking to me today. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, mate. The one and only Mark Cousins there, talking to me about the story of film A New Generation, which is available to stream on Netflix. Up next, Mark Royal on the week's new releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn to the week's new releases, which this week include two movie releases in the cinema, but Alex Garland's new movie Men, a kind of folk horror, and also an intriguingly titled movie. Let's find out if there's more to it than just the title. Bergman Island. We will be reviewing these in the company of our erstwhile and much-loved resident critic, Mark Ryle. Hello, sir. Hey Cowboy, how are you doing? Very well. Now listen, I didn't get to either of these movies this week, as Junior Soprano says to Tony Soprano, I answer to higher people than you, my friend. So uh, it's all up to you. It's yep. all up to you this week, but you can do it. You've got this. I really feel you have, you know. That's
2: why I'm here, I suppose. Yes.
1: yes. Well, amongst other reasons, you know. So, look, men, British folk men. horror uh, mm. from, you know, the intriguing Alex Garland who gave us yep. things like ex machina machine. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. <laughs> Language isn't my strong suit. But, it's <laughs> You're telling me it's not going to, but uh, so I, it occurs to me that this is, you know, I, I know a bit of your tastes. You like this Ooh. kind of thing.
2: I kind of do, yeah, um, and I expected to. Um, I'm, I'm on the fence with Alex Garland. I loved Ex Machina, but his second movie, Annihilation, I, I thought it was quite disappointing. So Men is his third movie. Obviously, he started out as a novelist. He wrote the the, the Beach, which most people will be aware of. Yeah. Um, his third movie, but well, he Men, didn't
1: make the movie version of the Beach. No, 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 no. No, no.
2: no he wrote the novel.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Uh. It kind of this shares a lot of the same problems that Annihilation had. Anyway, um, what is going on here? It's it stars the incredible Jesse Buckley. She plays uh, Harper. And she has just rented a very big house in the country to spend some quiet time with herself and to try and get over a personal tragedy that she's just had. And when she arrives at the house, the the, the Jolly Hockey Sticks owner, Jeffrey, he's shown her around the property and he starts dropping in just enough borderline inappropriate comments to to make things uncomfortable. And then the next day, Harper is enjoying a walk out in the woods when she sees a a naked ball guy watching her. And understandably, she's quite freaked out by this, so she makes a quick exit back to the house. And then the, the naked ball guy shows up outside, and things get weirder.
1: Okay. Yep. Right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, like horror comes yeah. thick and heavy. Now you've used
2: the the, the term folk horror uh, a couple of times, and it I is. Have, and, I
1: like it as a term.
2: Yeah, it is. I don't
1: know what <laughs> it, it means, problem.
2: but you know, I like it. <laughs> It, this one starts off as, I'd say, an above average folk horror, um, and it ends up somewhere entirely different. Uh, for the first hour, Garland does a very, very successful job of building up a sense of dread and impending peril. And I think the first three quarters of men has got some very, very clever ideas. And, you know, the remote setting and that sense of isolation and the. The, the possibility of a, a of a, a malevolent rural community isolated all slot perfectly into that folk horror template.
1: And just to interrupt you for a second, I watched a couple of clips, and uh, there was, seemed to be plenty of jump scares in it. I no? don't know if there you maybe think it was just no, the cl- clever editing of the trailer.
2: It was possibly just used for okay. the trailer. Um, there is a like I would say is that the sound design is is particularly creepy. There's this really great scene where where Buckley is is, is shouting echoes into this disused railway tunnel and then it kind of builds into a multi-layered vocal performance with her vocal coming back in herself and that that's becomes a, a recurring motif mm. and there isn't a whole lot of jump scares but what's okay. done really really well with this is 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 the the small stuff um what i think doesn't work quite as well is the the high concept resolution for want of a better term and um, as like the small stuff as, as an exploration of grief and what that does to a person this is very good because the trauma that, that Harper is trying to get over is her husband uh, committed suicide because she told him that she wanted a divorce and he told her that if she left him then he was going to kill himself and it was going to be her fault which is it like obviously that's just the, the most terrific thing that anybody could do to another person you know um so that's all great and uh buckley is just she's you, you don't
1: mean great obviously but you mean that passes no, I mean muster, that, narratively no, speaking
2: you know, yeah. exactly i'm <laughs> yes. not saying that that's a, that's a fantastic thing that, no i'm not saying that yeah no it's well done though yeah and um and buckley's she's incredible Um mm-hmm. i know i know that actors don't get to pick and choose roles but i think she's done she's chosen her projects very very well and absolutely it's only really five years that she's been kind of uh working more or less but she's built up a, an incredible body of work in a very very short space of time I,
1: co- I completely agree with you and on tv as well with things like chernobyl she's she's yeah, uh, one of our brightest yeah she Bargo, is yeah course.
2: yeah 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 um but she's know charlie kaufman and, and maggie yeah. gyllenhaal she's done She she picks her projects well um yeah, it must be very, very wearing, though, to kind of maintain this level of intensity in every role. As she could probably do it doing a rom-com just for a bit of a break. Um, Rory because Kinnear I'm also was, thinking
1: The Lost Daughter was quite heavy material as well.
2: Yeah, they're all kind of heavy, you know. Um, but like she's she's incredible. Um, Rory Kinnear, so she plays she plays uh, Harper and then Rory Kinnear plays everybody else Um uh, so he's, I think he, Rory Kinnear, who I, 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 love, and I would describe not in a condescending way at all as a character actor. Um, he's, he's, he's given a lot of characters to get his teeth into here and he, you know, to show off that versatility, he plays, I think at least eight different characters, including this weird vicar and an eight year old boy, which it has to be said is not very convincing. That kind of looks like a, a novelty Instagram filter. So but, he you know,
1: plays kind of all the men as everybody suggests. Yeah. Okay
2: everybody and there's something off about each and every one of them and it's it's a very very unsettling um effect now that's three quarters of it which is great but then the final act um i think for me it completely wastes all of that very clever setup and the resolution it, it manages to be uh a, monumentally disturbing, B, utterly confusing, and C, entirely unsatisfying all at the same time, which is, which is quite the achievement. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to hold my hands up and admit that I didn't understand what happened in the end of this at okay. all. Um, From what I've...
1: Go on, yeah, sorry.
2: If, I, if, you, if I'm putting on my film critic hat, I could say that, you know... Do you
1: ever take that off?
2: I, I, I hardly ever wear it, John. Um, If I was wearing that hat, I would say that Alex Garland is trying to make a point about trauma, begetting trauma and, you know, destructive attitudes like toxic masculinity, being learned behavior that gets passed on. But quite honestly, who the hell knows? Because I haven't got the first clue of what was going on at the end of this.
1: Okay, you see, because what I read about it was that people are troubled by the ending and some people have suggested, like yourself, that it doesn't fit together, uh, my understanding was he was attempting to maybe usurp or turn on its head the normal horror tropes of how a movie like this might end.
2: Right, so I, like, I'm like i not the only one who has had a problem with the, I haven't re- actually read anything about this.
1: Okay, well there you go. Uh, so, but but I mean if that's what he was doing, that wasn't satisfying to you then, clearly.
2: Absolutely not, no. It reminded me a lot of another movie called Mother by Darren Aronofsky, yes. which was it was equally head melting. And that also reached a certain point where, you know, it just, the, the floor was pulled out from under you and you're just dropped into this, this void without any kind of reference. Um, okay. And if any of our listeners have seen Mother, then you will probably know where I'm coming from with that. And um, what I will say about that, about, about men, is that I haven't seen anything quite like it before. And having seen it, I'm not sure I wanted to. Okay. Um, it is very bloody and gory, but that 's not the most off putting thing about it um and I'm not easily freaked out by horror at all um but the last twenty minutes of of this has it 's got some of the most queasy and disturbing imagery that I've seen in a very long time wow, um, to man. to the extent where you know you question where <laughs> who 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 could come up with this stuff at all okay. um, what I will say about it is that if if you enjoy leaving the cinema being really disturbed and confused then, then this is the movie for you
1: <laughs> okay but that did, clearly didn't work for you and it's your views we want so what would you say stars wise for men
2: uh, i'm going to give it a three because 75 percent of it is is fantastic but the final act is just incredibly disturbing and it's not something that i would want to to see again
1: okay so you would never rewatch this
2: not in a fit
1: okay well let's take a short clip of that deeply disturbing movie
2: Apple from the garden?
1: Yeah, it was delicious.
2: No, 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 no. Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit.
1: Oh, God, sorry, I, I, I'm I, am joking. I oh. Uh.
3: You're tormented.
1: It
0: feels more like... Haunted. Yeah. Something happened. My husband went upstairs
1: to our balcony let himself go.
3: You must wonder why you drove him to it.
1: Why I didn't drive him to it. That is Men, which is on release in cinemas from this Friday, the 3rd of June. And Mark gave it a three. He was with it for three quarters of the way, but then it really fell off a cliff. Cliff, now, uh, a movie with a very pretentious title, but uh, you know, what, what's in a title is Bergman Island, which is also out this week again. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Mark, you have. What's going on?
2: Something has just occurred to me. Both the movies this week involve holiday rentals. <laughs> but
1: there you go. Great. Tis there the season.
2: Very different movies. Um, so Bergman Island is written and directed by uh, Mia hansen løve and it premiered at Cannes last year, and it's been doing the rounds of varied festivals for almost 12 months now. But, yeah, it arrives in Irish cinemas this Friday. It stars, uh, It stars uh, Vicky, Vicky uh, Kripes and Tim Roth as uh, Chris and Tony. They're a filmmaking couple uh, on a part working trip, part pilgrimage to Faroe Island in Sweden, which is where the, the, the hugely influential Swedish director Ingmar Bergman lived and worked for the latter part of his life. Um and it starts off with shots of the couple being very sweet and tender with each other and, and you know laughing at the, the their satnav's clumsy attempt to pronounce the Swedish road names. Um, and then when they arrive at Bergman's house, their their, their guide explains that this is the house where Bergman shot scenes from a marriage which is uh the film that made millions of people divorce now that that seems like it seems to be a, a blatant bit of foreshadowing you know but it's it's really not that kind of movie at all it's very low-key and subtle but it's it's intriguing and it, it held my interest
1: and what's the drama exactly in it
2: it's uh, it's a i suppose it's a an exploration of the relationship between the couple um okay. and the dynamic between um Chris and Tony, the, 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 filmmaking couple, it it feels like a very authentic, authentic and lived in couple. And they're very easy in each other's company. And on the surface, they're, they're supportive of each other's work and very supportive of the other's emotional needs and all of that stuff. Um, and any arguments that, that prop up they're they're kind of small ones and they, and they're dealt with in a mature manner. So there is no huge fight or outpouring of grievances as you might be led to expect in a movie called Bergman Island. Um, but having said all that, it's difficult to avoid the the impression that all is not as it should be in the relationship. And it's, it's almost though we're witnessing the couple after something big has happened. Although what this big thing is, is never kind of talked about or even hinted at. And so it's there, but it's very cleverly done. We get the okay. idea... Without having to have everything spelled out for us.
1: Okay. Well, listen. Maybe I need a bit more spelling out, though. But I mean, in terms of, uh, of oh, yeah. the drama, you say it's very subtle. But like, do, do, did I see from a clip? Do, does another couple enter the scene? And there's,
2: it's, it's, it's a really interesting. It kind of turns into a movie within a movie. Um, the the dynamic between the couple. It, there's a definite imbalance of power, and at first, it looks like Tony's career is the more successful of the two. But I think it could be just that he's just, he's less prone to self doubt, which is a, a very you know it, it's a very masculine trait not to not to doubt yourself, yeah. and more willing to embrace I suppose the the, the pretentiousness that's expected of a director. But um, Chris on the other hand, she really struggles with the the screenplay that she's writing, and, and Tony just belts his out without any problems. Um, but then what happens is there's a sort of a pivot in the third act and it turns into this movie within a movie and we get to see that the screenplay that, that she has been working on brought to life and it's done with uh, Mia Wasikowska and Anders Danielson-Lee. They, they play the characters that she's written and it's, it's, it's sort of a, a little sa- uh, side journey into the, the screenplay that she's been writing. It's very well done.
1: Okay, that sounds fascinating actually. Uh, it is, yeah. you know because I watched clips and trailers this week it's funny how misleading these things can be sometimes because I had no idea that that's what the movie was about really you know Yeah, I yeah. It was just people think... renting an Airbnb in northern Sweden or something so uh,
2: no I, uh, I know it's a, it's interesting I, I, I don't think don't be put off I don't think you need a, a deep knowledge of Bergman to get, get something out of, of this but I suppose oh, well broad, look, you know, I'm fine be. in
1: that department so <laughs> you're, no problems you're,
2: there you know you're, well, you're I'm working
1: with the best of them you know you're, you're uh,
2: you're a Bergman lover.
1: Yeah, I'm familiar with the oeuvre. No, listen, what are you going to say stars-wise? I'm sensing you really enjoyed this. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a three and a half. It's a, it's, okay. it's, it's a really nice little movie,
2: and it's, it's, it held my interest.
1: Okay, a nice little movie. Three and a half stars for Bergman Island, which is on release from this Friday, the 3rd of June. My thanks to Mark Ryle. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, John. Mark Ryle there discussing Bergman's Island and also Men. Uh, Intriguing movies in different ways, both available in your local cinemas as of this weekend, Friday the 3rd of June. I know I keep restating the date and all, but you know, it's kind of a public service broadcasting remit here. You know, I want to tell you when these things are out and the fact that you can see them in the cinema as opposed to at home or whatever. Just doing my bit to ease your life. Remember, this is a gratitude show. Ever since I didn't get clamped, I'm all about gratitude. So let's be grateful for cinemas being open and that you can go and see movies in the cinema. And talking of movies, up next, I talk to musician Brian Deedy about his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. Brian Deedy is a well-known Irish musician who has released five albums to date and has a beautiful, soulful voice that many have suggested is more reminiscent of a man from the deep south of America as opposed to the deep south of Cork. His song, Clap Both My Hands, was a huge hit in 2016 and got a huge amount of airplay. He's due to play uh, the Kaleidoscope Festival, which is a fantastic festival, in Rustborough House on the 20th. 24th to the 26th of June. It's a very family-focused festival. And I'm delighted to say he joins me now to chat about his favourite movie. Brian, how are you?
3: Hi, John. How's it going? Thanks for that intro.
1: Not at all. Not at all. The Kaleidoscope Festival makes you know, aging dads like me feel cool because you get to go to a, a festival with your kids, you know, so.
3: Yeah, you can be cool for for like, you know, a day. You're yeah, exactly. Be cool if, day. if
1: I'm lucky, I mightn't swing that. Anyway, <laughs> this is about you. So listen, your favorite movie, uh, Brilliant Choice, hasn't been chosen. Would you tell our listeners what it is and why? So No
3: Country for Old Men, to me anyway, is, it's a Western. Yeah. Um, but it's set, it's set in the 80s and it's set around in, in, in Texas And it's really kind of like, to me, it's a a cat and mouse type of hunter and the hunted type of movie. But there's a lot, it's a lot deeper than that. It's weird because the first time I I remember the first time I went to see it, I was immediately, that was my favorite film. It was 2008 and I brought my younger brother with me and I'd just come out of the cinema and um, my sister called me on the phone. She said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the cinema or just come out. And she goes, what are you going to see? And I, and I said, no, Country for Old Men. And she goes, oh, Brian, don't go and see that. It's the most <laughs> boring film ever. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was, and I remember that conversation distinctly, but I've watched it so many times since. It's one of those films that I always think about because I don't really fully know what's going on in it.
1: Right, okay. And, and I it- love
3: that it's so interpretive that way.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, just remind people kind of top line what it's about. You say cat and mouse, you've Javier, Javier Bardem as this horrific kind of chaser. But what exactly is happening?
3: So Javier Bardem is like the black hole in it. Everything seems yeah. to center around him. He He's a he's a psychopathic killer, but he has morals and he has code. Hmm. Then you've got Josh Brolin, who is an ex-army vet. He comes across a bag of money. He says, you know what? This is my opportunity. Those two characters come into, uh, into collision. And then you've got Tommy Lee Jones, who's the sheriff, who's kind of watching all this mayhem unravel. Yeah. And he's kind of like the jaded sheriff. And he's just like, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on in the world, that kind of <laughs> thing, you know? So he's a kind of, he's a voice of, of moral reasoning while everyone else is just so in the chaos. Mm. there's a lot of tension in it and it's funny too there's no music whatsoever in that film okay. either it's just blank big blank um, Texas landscapes yeah. and then the sound of wind so there's this huge amount of space for the dialogue the script which is the, the most powerful thing in it
1: and it, I mentioned Javier Bardem and you did as well I just remember the performance It's it's he's terrifying like it's like a horror nearly how scary he is
3: yeah he's got these big black saucer eyes and he breathes really heavy and what's the most you ever lost in a coin toss he talks really deep and and yeah you can't figure him out and that's what's brilliant about it yeah still trying to find his motives and he's relentless as well you know it's going to come to a to a grinding halt because of the 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 nature of the characters in it and i I love when it's set in the 80s as well i love that period and I, i love how it it looks.
1: And you say it, it's open to kind of interpretation. It's one of those movies that almost, you know, kind of doesn't have a fixed meaning, I guess. Like you can get different things out of it every rewatch. I remember the ending particularly kind of with, if memory serves Tommy Lee Jones, just almost staring off at the mountains or something.
3: Yeah, he has a dream at the end and he, he's telling his wife about his dream. And he's, he's saying that he has a dream with his father in it, but he's a younger man in it because his father died at a certain age so yeah and then he stares out he does a bit of staring out and that's the end of it yeah every time i watch it i kind of figure something else that's new about it and i think that's that's the measure of it and i think the measure the measure of a good film is that is that you walk away and you don't forget about the characters you're still thinking about them yeah whereas i I, watched maverick last week and i I can't remember anything that happened
1: (laughs) this is top (laughs) gun yeah yeah did you go see it yeah
3: i did I, want, I wanted to see Tom Cruise we're going off tangent now, sorry John
1: No, that's okay, That's it's a movie show it's not like you're you you know, you're brought up baking or anything uh, Yeah, no I, I kind of like Top Gun Maverick, even though I can't remember much about it either, I was surprised by it, I nearly told it was better than the original but we are going off topic, let me ask you this, it's uh, No Country for Old Men is based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy, did you get around to reading the book after you read the movie? Maybe you didn't, I mean I haven't read I it I did,
3: before. yeah I did and and I found there was some striking differences between the two, the two storylines. There was a few things in it that McCarthy had that didn't seem to kind of, um, line up with the book, mm. but you know, I, I accepted that. I really enjoyed it, but I also loved the script.
1: Yeah. 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 I
3: used to drive, I used to drive up and down to Dublin a lot and I used to, I used to go over the opening scene in my head to see, could I, you know, remember it? Cause I enjoyed that monologue. So, so much is Tommy Lee Jones's monologue at the start. And he, he, you know, it's all wind in Texas. And he just opens by going, "I was shirt sure for this county when I was 25 years old, hard to believe my granddaddy would law me and my father do. And I, I loved he, I loved his rolling from one thought to the next. Cause, cause he's really trying to figure out what, what's life all about and what's yeah. getting older all about. Mm-hmm. And Kind of losing his edge. He's also a sheriff who's losing his edge. You know, he doesn't. He's just heading out to pasture, and he he just doesn't know what to make of it. But he's doing he's doing his
1: best. Well, that movie is uh, it runs deep with you. I can tell that. Uh, if you're if you're saying the, you know, speeches from it as you drive cars, that's a sign of a movie that's uh, that's gotten a hold of you.
3: Yeah, it certainly did that. Yeah, yeah, it got me well, up and down to Dublin a lot.
1: Well, there you go. There you go. Well that is uh very well described and passionately described. I appreciate that. And listen, talking of uh movies and TV, a song of yours featured on the T V show Lucifer, right? Yeah. Is that, you know, I suppose back in the day that was, you know, I remember the Cranberries had a song that was an an American thing. It was a while ago, it was in the 90s and it, it seemed like a, you know, a very big deal at the time. Is that still a, was that a big thing for you or, or does that mean less than maybe it used to?
3: I think it was a big deal at the time because it was the first piece of music I had on on anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt it felt like a big deal and I suppose it was then but no less it's just the thing that's happened but it, w- it was exciting at the time I wouldn't yeah. mind a few more to be honest
1: yeah yeah sure sure well look, let, let, let's let keep going and tell me this you know I, I talk to musicians a lot in this slot and comedians and people like that you know it's a cliche to say it's been a very strange two years but I mean for you as a working musician I know you know your fourth album Yellow Creek was very well received you had a whole tour planned the SH1T, you know, hit the fan. Uh, so, how has the last eighteen months, two years, been for you?
3: Yeah, I think I had just put out Yellow Creek, and then everything kind of went bombed. So, mm. I had to figure out, you know, something else to do. So, I actually started. I actually wrote a uh, play. After that, I I started the the album, The Healing. So, I just just forced myself to keep working and keep working and sure we all thought it was going to end yeah way sooner than the thought so it's very strange to look back and i I think in years to come we'd be still learning things about what what occurred to ourselves in in that time but luckily i could i could keep working and i think that was just the main thing for me yeah um yeah
1: Uh, and the play uh is this likely has it been performed, or, or are you going to try and have that happen? And, w- and what was it about?
3: Uh, the play was about, you know, I, it's funnily, I, I drew a lot on No Country for Old Men for the play. It's called okay. The Porch, and it's about this um, kind of recluse sheriff who's now kind of being a musician. He ex sheriff lives out in the middle of nowhere because I, I was out in Spain at the time, and it's it's literally like Arizona there. So I had the right setting for it. It's about a, a ghost that lives with him in the house and the ghost is a a kind of teenage boy who died a few years back it's about their relationship they end up setting up a little radio station and the the ghost makes the music and taylor the the lead character the sheriff he kind of ponders about life and people ring in the the tv show because it's kind of local community thing people call in and and there's there's a bit of drama there and it was it was my first kind of time writing anything like that so sure I spent I spent about you know a good four months talking to myself in in Spain (laughs) that was was COVID for me (laughs) (laughs) tell me this
1: yeah, yeah, well, fascinating stuff I read an interview with you yesterday When I knew I was going to be talking to you And I thought it was very interesting you, you said something because your previous album To The Healing Yellow Creek that we mentioned Was recorded in America, in Memphis And kind of live and almost one take kind of stuff But you said this thing, something And I may be misquoting you, so put me if I'm right But you know, America wasn't what you thought It was going to be when you were there That maybe you, you felt slightly out of love With the American dream that you know people of our generation might have had be it through movies and music is that right
3: yeah i'd I would definitely say that because to me i mean it, it's funny growing up we grew up through tv and tv shows we've actually in a weird way experienced america through these places
1: absolutely yeah uh,
3: we haven't just seen them in our open childish way we absorbed all that as as reality hmm. And uh, and then you kind of go there and you go, oh, shit, everything's about money over here. <laughs> and I'm running out of money over here because I spent <laughs> loads of money on now in Memphis.
1: <laughs> I spent loads of money getting here.
3: Yeah. But, you know, it's I think that's what's so fascinating about America mm. is your expectations versus the reality of it. <laughs> and w- the in between is, is kind of what's interesting.
1: hmm. Well, listen, finally then, as I mentioned, you're going to be playing at the Kaleidoscope Festival in Rusper House in Wicklow. It must be just great for you, from what you tell me, to be back looking at doing gigs again.
3: Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm still kind of, after having two years of kind of being able to procrastinate, I'm mm. still at it. I still don't know what songs I'm playing first. Okay. So um, it's a good time to just start getting, getting going again and yeah. not overthink things and just play music because you love playing music. You can, you can really get into your head on, on these things. It's the same for any anyone returning to anything after s- such a long time. It's, you know, you just have to get to
1: it. Well, Brian will be getting to it at Kaleidoscope Festival. Amongst other guests will be James Morrison, Feeder, The Divine Comedy, Camille Sullivan, Ryan McMullen, and of course, Jerry Fish. And there's all sorts of family fun to be had. His favourite movie is No Country for All Men. Brilliantly described, never chosen before. Brian Deedee, thanks a lot for chatting to me.
3: And thank you, John. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? The most you ever lost on a coin toss?
0: I don't know. I couldn't say. Call it. Call it? Yes. For what? Just call it. Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here. You need to call it. I can't call it for you. It wouldn't be fair. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know what date is on this coin? No. 1958. It's been traveling 22 years to get here. And now it's here. And it's either heads or tails.
1: And you have to say, call it. The very scary. Javier Bardem there in no country for old men. The favorite movie. Of Brian Deedee. And Brian is, of course, playing at Kaleidoscope, the wonderful festival of music and entertainment and fun for the family, a family festival uh, or family focus festival in Rossborough House from the 24th to the 26th of June. There are still tickets available, uh, family day tickets available for 133 quid for a family of four, or weekend camping for a family of four is 250 quid. I was actually going to go. But I'm going to be in Italy, in Tuscany, actually. Isn't that the most middle-class excuse you've ever heard? I'd love to, but I'll be in Tuscany. Anyway, enough of this. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. I just want to remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk. Get in touch with me at any stage during the week. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me, screen time at newstalk.com. Remember, this is the week I didn't get clamped, so I'm feeling lots of gratitude. So, have a gratuitous, no, have a gratitude-filled weekend, and enjoy the remainder of your bank holiday weekend, and we'll do it all again next week. Take care.